0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan English Fairy Tales, Collected by Joseph Jacobs Chapter 8. Jack Hannaford "'There was an old soldier who had been long in the wars, "'so long that he was quite out at elbows, "'and he did not know where to go to find a living. "'So he walked up moors, down glens, "'till at last he came to a farm, "'for which the good man had gone away to market. "'The wife of the farmer was a very foolish woman, "'who had been a widow when he married her. "'The farmer was foolish enough too, "'and it is hard to say which of the two was the more foolish.' "'When you've heard my tale, you may decide.' "'Now before the farmer goes to market, says he to his wife, "'Here is ten pounds all in gold. "'Take care of it till I come home.' "'If the man had not been a fool, "'he would never have given the money to his wife to keep. "'Well, off he went in his cart to market, "'and the wife said to herself, "'I will keep the ten pounds quite safe from thieves.' "'So she tied it up in a rag,' "'and she put the rag up the parlour chimney. "'There,' said she, "'no thieves will ever find it now, that is quite sure.' "'Jack Hannaford, the old soldier, came and rapped at the door. "Who is there?' asked the wife. "'Jack Hannaford.' "'Where do you come from?' "'Paradise.' "'Lord a mercy, and maybe you've seen my old man there,' "'alluding to her former husband.' "'Yes, I have.' "'And how was he a-doing?' asked the goody. "'But middling, he cobbles old shoes, "'and he has nothing but cabbage for victuals.' "'Jury me!' exclaimed the woman. "'Didn't he send a message to me?' "'Yes, he did,' replied Jack Hannaford. "'He said that he was out of leather, "'and his pockets were empty, "'so you were to send him a few shillings "'to buy a fresh stock of leather.' HE SHALL HAVE THEM, BLESS HIS POOR SOUL. And away went the wife to the parlour chimney, and she pulled the rag with the ten pounds in it from the chimney, and she gave the whole sum to the soldier, telling him that her old man was to use as much as he wanted, and to send back the rest. It was not long that Jack waited after receiving the money. He went off as fast as he could. Presently the farmer came home and asked his wife for his money. The wife told him that she had sent it by a soldier to her former husband in paradise, to buy him leather for cobbling the shoes of the saints and angels of heaven. The farmer was very angry, and he saw that he had never met with such a fool as his wife. But the wife said that her husband was a greater fool for letting her have the money. There was no time to waste words, so the farmer mounted his horse and rode off after Jack Hannaford, The old soldier heard the horse's hooves clattering on the road behind him, so he knew it must be the farmer pursuing him. He lay down on the ground, and, shading his eyes with one hand, looked up into the sky, and pointed heavenwards with the other hand. "'What are you about there?' asked the farmer, pulling up. "'Lord, save you!' exclaimed Jack. "'I've seen a rare sight.' "'What was that?' A man going straight up into the sky as if he were walking on a road. Can you see him still? Yes, I can. Where? Get off your horse and lie down. If you will hold the horse. Jack did so readily. I cannot see him, said the farmer. Shade your eyes with your hand and you'll soon see a man flying away from you. "'Sure enough he did so, for Jack leapt on the horse and rode away with it. "'The farmer walked home without his horse. "'You are a bigger fool than I am,' said the wife, "'for I did only one foolish thing, and you have done two End of Chapter 8 Jack Hannaford This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan English Fairy Tales, Collected by Joseph Jacobs Chapter 9 Binori Once upon a time there were two king's daughters lived in a bower near the Bonnie mill dams of Benori and Sir William came wooing the eldest, and won her love, and plighted troth with glove and with ring. But after a time he looked upon the youngest, with her cherry cheeks and golden hair, and his love grew towards her, till he cared no longer for the eldest one. So she hated her sister for taking away Sir William's love, and day by day her hate grew upon her, and she plotted and she planned how to get rid of her. So one fine morning, fair and clear, she said to her sister, Let us go and see our father's boats come in at the bonny millstream of Benori." So they went there hand in hand, and when they got to the river's bank, the youngest got upon a stone to watch for the coming of the boats. And her sister, coming behind her, caught her round the waist and dashed her into the rushing millstream of Benori. O sister, sister, reach me your hand, she cried, as she floated away, and you shall have half of all I've got or shall get. No, sister, I'll reach you no hand of mine, for I am the heir to all your land. Shame on me if I touch the hand that has come twixt me and my own heart's love. O sister, O sister, then reach me your glove, she cried, as she floated further away. "'and you shall have your William again.' "'Sink on,' cried the cruel princess. "'No hand or glove of mine you'll touch. "'Sir William will be all mine "'when you are sunk beneath the bonny millstream of Benori. "'And she turned and went home to the king's castle. "'And the princess floated down the millstream, "'sometimes swimming and sometimes sinking, "'till she came near the mill.' Now the miller's daughter was cooking that day, and needed water for her cooking, and as she went to draw it from the stream, she saw something floating towards the mill dam, and she cried out, Father, Father, draw your dam, there's something white, a merry maid, or a milk-white swan, coming down the stream. So the miller hastened to the dam, and stopped the heavy, cruel mill-wheels. And then they took out the princess and laid her on the bank. Fair and beautiful she looked as she lay there. In her golden hair were pearls and precious stones. You could not see her waist for her golden girdle. And the golden fringe of her white dress came down over her lily feet. But she was drowned, drowned. As she lay there in her beauty, a famous harper passed by the mill-dam of Benori and saw her sweet, pale face, and though he travelled on far away, he never forgot that face, and after many days he came back to the bonny millstream of Benori. But then all he could find of her, where they had put her to rest, were her bones and her golden hair. So he made a harp out of her breastbone and her hair, and travelled on up the hill from the mill dam of Benori till he came to the castle of the king her father. That night they were all gathered in the castle hall to hear the great harper, king and queen, their daughter and son, Sir William, and all their court. And first the harper sang to his old harp, making them joy and be glad or sorrow and weep, just as he liked. And while he sang he put the harp he had made that day on a stone in the hall. AND PRESENTLY IT BEGAN TO SING BY ITSELF, LOW AND CLEAR, AND THE harper STOPPED, AND ALL WERE HUSHED, AND THIS WAS WHAT THE HARP SUNG. O YONDER SITS MY FATHER, THE KING, BENORI, O BENORI, AND YONDER SITS MY MOTHER, THE QUEEN, BY THE BONNY MILL-DAMS, O BENORI, AND YONDER STANDS MY BROTHER HUGH, BENORI, O BENORI, AND BY HIM MY WILLIAM, false and true, by the bonnie mill-dams of Benori. Then they all wondered, and the harper told them how he had seen the princess lying drowned on the bank near the bonnie mill-dams of Benori, and how he had afterwards made this harp out of her hair and breastbone. Just then the harp began singing again, and this was what it sang out loud and clear. And there sits my sister who drowned me by the body mill-dance of Benori. And then the harp snapped and broke, and never sang more. End of chapter 9 Benori. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, Please visit librivox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English Fairy Tales collected by Joseph Jacobs. Chapter 10, Mouse and Mouser. The mouse went to visit the cat and found her sitting behind the hall door spinning. Mouse. What are you doing, my lady, my lady? What are you doing, my lady? Cat sharply. I'm spinning old breeches, good body, good body. I'm spinning old breeches, good body. Mouse. Long may you wear them, my lady, my lady. Long may you wear them, my lady. Cat gruffly. I'll wear em and tear em, good body, good body. I'll wear em and tear em, good body. Mouse. I was sweeping my room, my lady, my lady. I was sweeping my room, my lady. Cat. The cleaner you'd be, good body, good body. The cleaner you'd be, good body. Mouse. I found a silver sixpence, my lady, my lady. I found a silver sixpence, my lady. Cat. The richer you were, good body, good body. The richer you were, good body. Mouse. I went to the market, my lady, my lady. I went to the market, my lady. Cat. The further you went, good body, good body, the further you went, good body. Mouse. I bought me a pudding, my lady, my lady. I bought me a pudding, my lady. Cat snarling. The more meat you had, good body, good body, The more meat you had, good body. Mouse. I put it in the window to cool, my lady. I put it in the window to cool. Cat sharply. The faster you'd eat it, good body, good body. The faster you'd eat it, good body. Mouse timidly. The cat came and ate it, my lady, my lady. The cat came and ate it, my lady cat pouncingly, and Ali, you, good body, good body, and I'll eat you, good body, springs upon the mouse and kills it. End of chapter 10. Mouse and Mouser. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan English Fairy Tales Collected by Joseph Jacobs Chapter 11 Kappa Rushes Well, there was once a very rich gentleman, and he'd three daughters, and he thought he'd see how fond they were of him. So he says to the first, How much do you love me, my dear? Why, says she, as I love my life. That's good, says he. So he says to the second, How much do you love me, my dear? Why, says she, better know all the world. That's good, says he. So he says to the third, How much do you love me, my dear? Why, I love you as fresh meat loves salt, says she. Well, he was that angry. You don't love me at all, says he. AND IN MY HOUSE YOU STAY NO MORE. SO HE DROVE HER OUT THERE AND THEN, AND SHUT THE DOOR IN HER FACE. WELL, SHE WENT AWAY ON AND ON, TILL SHE CAME TO A FEN, AND THERE SHE GATHERED A LOT OF RUSHES, AND MADE THEM INTO A KIND OF A SORT OF A CLOAK WITH A HOOD, TO COVER HER FROM HEAD TO FOOT, AND TO HIDE HER FINE CLOTHES. AND THEN SHE WENT ON AND ON, TILL SHE CAME TO A GREAT HOUSE. "'Do you want a maid?' says she. "'No, we don't,' said they. "'I haven't nowhere to go,' says she, "'and I ask no wages and do any sort of work,' says she. "'Well,' says they, "'if you like to wash the pots and scrape the saucepans, "'you may stay,' said they. "'So she stayed there and washed the pots "'and scraped the saucepans and did all the dirty work. "'And because she gave no name, "'they called her Kappa Rushes.' Well, one day there was to be a great dance a little way off, and the servants were allowed to go and look on at the grand people. Kappa rushes said she was too tired to go, so she stayed at home. But when they were gone, she offed with her Kappa rushes and cleaned herself and went to the dance, and no one there was so finely dressed as her. Well, who should be there but her master's son, and what should he do but fall in love with her the minute he set eyes on her? He wouldn't dance with any one else. But before the dance was done, Kappa Rushes slipped off and away she went home. And when the other maids came back, she was pretending to be asleep with her Kappa Rushes on. Well, next morning they said to her, "You did miss a sight, Kappa Rushes. What was that?" says she, "Why, the beautifulest lady you ever see, dressed right gay and gar, the young master." He never took his eyes off her. Well, I should have liked to have seen her, says Kappa Rushes. Well, there's to be another dance this evening, and perhaps she'll be there. But come the evening, Kappa Rushes said she was too tired to go with them. Howsoever, when they were gone, she off with her Kappa Rushes and cleaned herself, and away she went to the dance. The master's son had been reckoning on seeing her. And he danced with no one else, and never took his eyes off her. But before the dance was over, she slipped off, and home she went. And when the maids came back, she pretended to be asleep with her cap-a-rushes on. Next day they said to her again, Well, cap rushes you should have been there to see seen the lady. There she was again, gay and ga, and the young master, he never took his eyes off her. Well there, says she, I should have liked to have seen her. "'Well,' says they, "'there's a dance again this evening, "'and you must go with us, "'for she's sure to be there.' "'Well, come this evening.' "'Capa Rushes said she was too tired to go, "'and do what they would, she stayed at home. "'But when they were gone, "'she offed with a cap and cleaned herself, "'and away she went to the dance. "'The master's son was really glad when he saw her. "'He danced with none but her,' "'and never took his eyes off her. "'When she wouldn't tell him her name, "'nor where she came from, "'he gave her a ring, "'and told her if he didn't see her again, "'he should die. "'Well, before the dance was over, "'off she slipped, and home she went, "'and when the maids came home, "'she was pretending to sleep with her caparushes on. "'Well, next day they says to her, "'There, rushes, you didn't come last night.' And now you won't see the lady, for there's no more dancers. Well, I should have rarely liked to have seen her, says she. The master's son, he tried every way to find out where the lady was gone. But go where he might, and ask whom he might, he never heard anything about her. And he got worse and worse for the love of her, till he had to keep his bed. "'Make some gruel for the young master,' they said to the cook. "'He's dying for the love of the lady.' "'The cook, she set about making it when Kappa Rushes came in. "'What are you a-doing of?' says she. "'I'm going to make some gruel for the young master,' says the cook, "'for he's dying for love of the lady.' "'Let me make it,' says Kappa Rushes. "'Well, the cook wouldn't at first, but at last she said yes. And Kappa made the gruel. And when she had made it, she slipped the ring into it on the sly, before the cook took it upstairs. The young man, he drank it, and then he saw the ring at the bottom. Send for the cook, says he. So up she comes. Who made this gruel here, says he. I did, says the cook, for she was frightened. And he looked at her. No, you didn't, says he. Say who did it and you shan't be harmed. Well then, twas Kappa Rushes, says she. Send Kappa Rushes here, says he. So Kappa Rushes came. Did you make my gruel, says he. Yes, I did, says she. Where did you get this ring, says he. From him that gave it me, says she. Who are you then, says the young man? I'll show you, says she, and she offed with her kappa rushes, and there she was in her beautiful clothes. Well, the master's son, he got well very soon, and they were to be married in a little time. It was to be a very grand wedding, and everyone was asked far and near. And kappa rushes' father was asked, but she never told anybody who she was. But before the wedding she went to the cook and says she, "'I want you to dress every dish without a mite of salt.' "'That'll be rare nasty,' says the cook. "'That doesn't signify,' says she. "'Very well,' says the cook. "'Well, the wedding day came, and they were married. "'And after they were married, all the company sat down to the dinner. "'When they began to eat the meat, that was so tasteless they couldn't eat it. "'But Kappa father, he tried first one dish.' "'and then another, and then he burst out crying. "'What is the matter?' said the master's son to him. "'Oh,' says he, "'I had a daughter, and I asked her how much she loved me. "'And she said, "'As much as fresh meat loves salt. "'And I turned her from my door, "'for I thought she didn't love me. "'And now I see she loved me best of all, "'and she may be dead for aught I know.' "'No, father, here she is,' says Capperushes, As she goes up to him and puts her arms round him, and so they were happy ever after. End of chapter eleven. Cap of Rushes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan English Fairy Tales. COLLECTED BY JOSEPH JACOBS CHAPTER Twelve, TEENY-TINY Once upon a time, there was a teeny-tiny woman lived in a teeny-tiny house in a teeny-tiny village. Now one day, this teeny-tiny woman put on her teeny-tiny bonnet and went out of her teeny-tiny house to take a teeny-tiny walk. And when this teeny-tiny woman had gone a teeny-tiny way, She came to a teeny-tiny gate. So the teeny-tiny woman opened the teeny-tiny gate and went into a teeny-tiny churchyard. And when this teeny-tiny woman had got into the teeny-tiny churchyard, she saw a teeny-tiny bone on a teeny-tiny grave. And the teeny-tiny woman said to her teeny-tiny self, This teeny-tiny bone will make me some teeny-tiny soup for my teeny-tiny supper. So the teeny tiny woman put the teeny tiny bone into her teeny tiny pocket and went home to her teeny tiny house. Now when the teeny tiny woman got home to her teeny tiny house, she was a teeny tiny bit tired. So she went up her teeny tiny stairs to her teeny tiny bed and put the teeny tiny bone into a teeny tiny cupboard. And when this teeny tiny woman had been to sleep a teeny tiny time "'she was awakened by a teeny-tiny voice "'from the teeny-tiny cupboard which said, "'Give me my bone!' "'And this teeny-tiny woman was a teeny-tiny frightened, "'so she hid her teeny-tiny head under the teeny-tiny clothes "'and went to sleep again. "'And when she had been to sleep again a teeny-tiny time, "'the teeny-tiny voice again cried out from the teeny-tiny cupboard "'a teeny-tiny louder, "'Give me my bone!' This made the teeny-tiny woman a teeny-tiny more frightened. So she hid her teeny-tiny head a teeny-tiny further under the teeny-tiny clothes. And when the teeny-tiny woman had been to sleep again a teeny-tiny time, the teeny-tiny voice from the teeny-tiny cupboard said again a teeny-tiny louder, Give me my bone! And this teeny-tiny woman was a teeny-tiny bit more frightened But she put her teeny-tiny head out of the teeny-tiny clothes, and said in her loudest teeny-tiny voice, Take it! End of chapter twelve. Teeny-tiny. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan English Fairy Tales, Collected by Joseph Jacobs Chapter 13 Jack and the Beanstalk There was once upon a time a poor widow who had an only son named Jack, and a cow named Milky White. And all they had to live on was the milk the cow gave every morning, which they carried to the market and sold. But one morning Milky White gave no milk, and they didn't know what to do. What shall we do, what shall we do, said the widow, wringing her hands. Cheer up, mother. I'll go and get work somewhere, said Jack. We've tried that before, and nobody would take you, said his mother. We must sell Milky White, and with the money do something, start shop or something. All right, mother, says Jack. It's market day today, and I'll soon sell Milky White, and then we'll see what we can do. "'so he took the cow's halter in his hand, and off he starts. "'He hadn't gone far when he met a funny-looking old man who said to him, "'Good morning, Jack.' "'Good morning to you,' said Jack, and wondered how he knew his name. "'Well, Jack, and where are you off to?' said the man. "'I'm going to market to sell our cow here.' "'Oh, you look the proper sort of chap to sell cows,' said the man." I wonder if you know how many beans make five. Two in each hand and one in your mouth, says Jack, as sharp as a needle. Right you are, said the man. And here they are, the very beans themselves. He went on, pulling out of his pocket a number of strange-looking beans. As you are so sharp, says he, I don't mind doing a swap with you, your cow, for these beans. "'Walker,' says Jack, "'wouldn't you like it?' "'Ah, you don't know what these beans are,' said the man. "'If you plant them overnight, by morning they grow right up to the sky.' "'Really?' says Jack. "'You don't say so.' "'Yes, that is so. "'And if it doesn't turn out to be true, you can have your cow back.' "'Right,' says Jack, and hands him over Milky White's halter and pockets the beans.' Back goes Jack home, and as he hadn't gone very far, it wasn't dusk by the time he got to his door. "'What, back, Jack?' said his mother. "'I see you haven't got Milky White, so you've sold her. "'How much did you get for her?' "'You'll never guess, mother,' says Jack. "'No, you don't say so. "'Good boy. Five pounds? Ten? Fifteen? No, it can't be twenty. "'I told you you couldn't guess.' "'What do you say to these beans? They're magical. Plant them overnight, and—' "'What?' says Jack's mother. "'Have you been such a fool, such a dolt, such an idiot, as to give away my milky white, the best milker in the parish, and prime beef to boot, for a set of poultry beans? "'Take that! Take that! Take that! And as for your precious beans, here they go out of the window.' And now off with you to bed. Not a sup shall you drink, and not a bit shall you swallow this very night. So Jack went upstairs to his little room in the attic, and sad and sorry he was, to be sure, as much for his mother's sake as for the loss of his supper. At last he dropped off to sleep. When he woke up, the room looked so funny. The sun was shining into part of it, and yet all the rest was quite dark and shady. So Jack jumped up and dressed himself and went to the window. And what do you think he saw? Why, the beans his mother had thrown out of the window into the garden had sprung up into a big beanstalk, which went up and up and up till it reached the sky. So the man spoke truth after all. The beanstalk grew up quite close past Jack's window, so all he had to do was to open it and give a jump onto the beanstalk, which was made like a big plaited ladder. So Jack climbed and he 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 climbed, climbed, till at last he reached the sky. And when he got there, he found a long, broad road going as straight as a dart. So he walked along and he walked along and he walked along, till he came to a great, big, tall house. And on the doorstep there was a great, big, tall woman, "'Good morning, Mum,' says Jack, quite polite-like. "'Should you be so kind as to give me some breakfast?' "'For he hadn't had anything to eat, you know, the night before, "'and was as hungry as a hunter.' "'It's breakfast you want, is it?' says the great big tall woman. "'It's breakfast you'll be if you don't move off from here. "'My man is an ogre, and there's nothing he likes better than boys broiled on toast. "'You'd better be moving on, or he'll soon be coming.' Oh, please, Mum, do give me something to eat, Mum. I've had nothing to eat since yesterday morning, really and truly, Mum, says Jack. I may as well be broiled as die of hunger. Well, the ogre's wife wasn't such a bad sort after all. So she took Jack into the kitchen and gave him a junk of bread and cheese and a jug of milk. But Jack hadn't half finished these when, thump, 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 the whole house began to tremble with the noise of someone coming. "'Goodness gracious me, it's my old man!' said the ogre's wife. "'What on earth shall I do? "'Here, come quick and jump in here!' And she bundled Jack into the oven, just as the ogre came in. He was a big one, to be sure. At his belt he had three calves strung up by the heels, and he unhooked them and threw them down on the table and said, "'Here, wife!' Roll me a couple of these for breakfast. Ah, what's this I smell? Fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he alive or be he dead, I'll have his bones to grind my bread. Nonsense, dear, said his wife. You're dreaming. Or perhaps you smell the scraps of that little boy you liked so much for yesterday's dinner. Here, go you and have a wash and tidy up. And by the time you come back, your breakfast will be ready for you. So the ogre went off, and Jack was just going to jump out of the oven and run off when the woman told him not. Wait till he's asleep, says she. He always has a snooze after breakfast. Well, the ogre had his breakfast, and after that he goes to a big chest and takes out of it a couple of bags of gold and sits down counting them, till at last his head began to nod, and he began to snore till the whole house shook again. Then Jack crept out on tiptoe from his oven, and as he was passing the ogre, he took one of the bags of gold under his arm, and off he pelters till he came to the beanstalk. And then he threw down the bag of gold, which of course fell into his mother's garden, and then he climbed down and climbed down, till at last he got home and told his mother and showed her the gold and said, Well, mother, wasn't I right about the beans? They are really magical, you see. So they lived on the bag of gold for some time. But at last they came to the end of that. So Jack made up his mind to try his luck once more up at the top of the beanstalk. So one fine morning he got up early and got on to the beanstalk. And And he climbed 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 and he climbed. Till at last he had got on the road again and came to the great big tall house he had been to before. There, sure enough, was the great big tall woman, a-standing on the doorstep. Good morning, Mum, says Jack, as bold as brass. Could you be so good as to give me something to eat? Go away, my boy, said the big tall woman, or else my man will eat you up for breakfast. But aren't you the youngster who came here once before? Do you know that very day my man missed one of his bags of gold? That's strange, Mum, says Jack. "'I dare say I could tell you something about that, "'but I'm so hungry I can't speak till I've had something to eat.' "'Well, the big tall woman was that curious "'that she took him in and gave him something to eat. "'But he had scarcely began munching it as slowly as he could "'when, thump, thump, thump!' "'They heard the giant's footstep, "'and his wife hid Jack away in the oven. "'All happened as it did before.' In came the ogre, as he did before, said, Fee, fi fo fum, and had his breakfast of three broiled oxen. Then he said, Wife, bring me the hen that lays the golden eggs. So she brought it, and the ogre said, Lay, and it laid an egg, all of gold. And then the ogre began to nod his head, and to snore till the house shook. Then Jack crept out of the oven on tiptoe, and caught hold of the golden hen, and was off before you could say Jack Robinson. But this time the hen gave a cackle which woke the ogre, and just as Jack got out of the house he heard him calling, Wife! Wife! What have you done with my golden hen? And the wife said, Why, my dear? But that was all Jack heard, for he rushed off to the beanstalk, and climbed down like a house on fire. And when he got home he showed his mother the wonderful hen, and said, lay to it, and it laid a golden egg every time he said lay. Well, Jack was not content, and it wasn't very long before he determined to have another try at his luck up there at the top of the beanstalk. So one fine morning he got up early and went on to the beanstalk, and he climbed and he climbed and he climbed and he climbed till he got to the top. "'but this time he knew better than to go straight to the ogre's house. "'And when he got near it, he waited behind a bush "'till he saw the ogre's wife come out with a pail to get some water. "'And then he crept into the house and got into the copper. "'He hadn't been there long when he heard, "'Thump! Thump! Thump!' as before. "'And in come the ogre and his wife. "'Fee-fi-fo-fum! "'I smell the blood of an Englishman!' cried out the ogre.' "'I smell him, wife, I smell him!' "'Do you, my dearie?' says the ogre's wife. "'Then if it's that little rogue that stole your gold "'and the hen that laid the golden eggs, "'he's sure to have gotten to the oven.' "'And they both rushed to the oven. "'But Jack wasn't there, luckily. "'And the ogre's wife said, "'There you are again with your fee-fi-fo-fum. "'Why, of course, it's the laddie you caught last night "'that I've broiled for your breakfast.' "'How forgetful I am, and how careless you are "'not to tell the difference between a liven and a dead un "'So the ogre sat down to the breakfast and ate it. "'But every now and then he would mutter, "'Well, I could have sworn." "'And he'd get up and search the larder and the cupboards and everything, "'only luckily he didn't think of the copper. "'After breakfast was over, the ogre called out, "'Wife, wife, bring me my golden harp!' So she brought it and put it on the table before him. Then he said, Sing! And the golden harp sang most beautifully, and it went on singing till the ogre fell asleep and commenced to snore like thunder. Then Jack lifted up the copper lid very quietly and got down like a mouse and crept on hands and knees till he got to the table when he got up and caught hold of the golden harp and dashed with it towards the door but the harp called out quite loud, Master! Master! And the ogre woke up just in time to see Jack running off with his harp. Jack ran as fast as he could, and the ogre came rushing after, and would soon have caught him only Jack had a start, and dodged him a bit, and knew where he was going. When he got to the beanstalk, the ogre was not more than twenty yards away, when suddenly he saw Jack disappear like and when he got up to the end of the road, he saw Jack underneath climbing down for dear life. Well, the ogre didn't like trusting himself to such a ladder, and he stood and waited, so Jack got another start. But just then the harp cried out, Master! Master! And the ogre swung himself down onto the beanstalk, which shook with his weight. Down climbs Jack, and after him climbed the ogre. By this time... Jack had climbed down and climbed down and climbed down till he was very nearly home. So he called out, Mother, mother, bring me an axe, bring me an axe. And his mother came rushing out with the axe in her hand. But when she came to the beanstalk, she stood stock still with fright, for there she saw the ogre just coming down below the clouds. But Jack jumped down and got hold of the axe and gave a chop at the beanstalk which cut it half in two. "'The ogre felt the beanstalk shake and quiver. "'So he stopped to see what was the matter. "'Then Jack gave another chop with the axe, "'and the beanstalk was cut in two and began to topple over. "'Then the ogre fell down and broke his crown, "'and the beanstalk came toppling after. "'Then Jack showed his mother his golden harp, "'and what was showing that and selling the golden eggs? "'Jack and his mother became very rich, "'and he married a great princess.' And they lived happy ever after. End of chapter 13. Jack and the Beanstalk. Ever after.
1: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan English Fairy Tales Collected by Joseph Jacobs Chapter Fourteen The Story of the Three Little Pigs Once upon a time when pigs spoke lime, and monkeys chewed tobacco, and hens took snuff to make them tough, and ducks went quack quack quacker. there was an old sow with three little pigs, and as she had not enough to keep them, she sent them out to seek their fortune. The first that went off met a man with a bundle of straw and said to him, Please, man, give me that straw to build me a house. Which the man did, and the little pig built a house with it. Presently came along a wolf and knocked at the door and said, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. To which the pig answered, No, no, by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. The wolf then answered to that, Then I'll huff and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. So he huffed, and he puffed, and he blew his house in, and ate up the little pig. The second little pig met a man with a bundle of furs, and said, Please, man, give me that furs to build a house. Which the man did, and the pig built his house. Then along came the wolf and said, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. No, no, by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Then I'll puff and I'll huff, and I'll blow your house in. So he huffed and he puffed, and he puffed and he huffed, and at last he blew the house down, and he ate up the little pig. The third little pig met a man with a load of bricks and said, Please, man, give me those bricks to build a house with. So the man gave him the bricks, and he built his house with them. So the wolf came as he did to the other little pigs, and said, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. No, no, by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Then I'll huff and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. Well, he huffed, and he puffed, and he huffed, and and he puffed, and he puffed, and he huffed, but he could not get the house down. When he found that he could not, with all his huffing and puffing, blow the house down, he said, Little pig, I know where there is a nice field of turnips. Where? said the little pig. Oh, in Mr. Smith's home field. And if you will be ready tomorrow morning, I will call for you and we will go together and get some for dinner. Very well, said the little pig. I will be ready. What time do you mean to go? Oh, at six o'clock. Well, the little pig got up at five and got the turnips before the wolf came, which he did about six and he said, Little pig, are you ready? The little pig said, Ready? I have been and come back again and got a nice potful for dinner. The wolf felt very angry at this, but thought that he would be up to the little pig somehow or other. So he said, Little pig, I know where there is a nice apple tree. Where? said the pig. Down at Merry Garden, replied the wolf. And if you will not deceive me, I will come for you at five o'clock tomorrow and get some apples. Well, the little pig bustled up the next morning at four o'clock and went off for the apples and to go get back before the wolf came. But he had further to go and had to climb the tree, so that just as he was coming down from it, he saw the wolf coming, which, as you may suppose, frightened him very much. When the wolf came up, he said, Little pig, what? Are you here before me? "'Are they nice apples?' "'Yes, very,' said the little pig. "'I will throw you down one.' And he threw it so far that, while the wolf was gone to pick it up, the little pig jumped down and ran home. The next day the wolf came again and said to the little pig, "'Little pig, there is a fair Shanklin this afternoon. Will you go?' "'Oh, yes,' said the pig. "'I will go. "'What time shall you be ready?' "'At three, said the wolf. "'So the little pig went off before the time as usual, "'and got to the fair and bought a butter-churn, "'which he was going home with when he saw the wolf coming. "'Then he could not tell what to do. "'So he got into the churn to hide, "'and by so doing turn it round, "'and it rolled down the hill with the pig in it, "'which frightened the wolf so much "'that he ran home without going to the fair.' He went to the little pig's house and told him how frightened he had been by a great round thing which came down the hill past him. Then the little pig said, Ha! I frightened you then. I had been to the fair and bought a butter churn and when I saw you I got into it and rolled down the hill. Then the wolf was very angry indeed and declared he would eat up the little pig and that he would get down the chimney after him. When the little pig saw what he was about, He hung on the pot full of water, and made up a blazing fire, and, just as the wolf was coming down, took off the cover, and in fell the wolf. So the little pig put on the cover again in an instant, boiled him up, and ate him for supper, and lived happy ever afterwards. End of chapter 14 The Story of the Three Little Pigs
0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English Fairy Tales Collected by Joseph Jacobs. Chapter 15. The Master and His Pupil. There was once a very learned man in the North Country who knew all the languages under the sun. "'and he was acquainted with all the mysteries of creation. "'He had one big book bound in black calf "'and clasped with iron and with iron corners "'and chained to a table which was made fast to the floor. "'And when he read out of this book, "'he unlocked it with an iron key, "'and none but he read from it, "'for it contained all the secrets of the spiritual world. "'It told how many angels there were in heaven "'and how they marched in their ranks "'and sang in their choirs.' and what were their several functions, and what was the name of each great angel of might. And it told of the demons, how many of them there were, and what were their several powers, and their labours, and their names, and how they might be summoned, and how tasks might be imposed on them, and how they might be chained to be as slaves to man. Now the master had a pupil, who was but a foolish lad, and he acted a servant to the great master. But never was he suffered to look into the black book, hardly to enter the private room. One day the master was out, and then the lad, as curious as could be, hurried to the chamber where his master kept his wondrous apparatus for changing copper into gold and lead into silver, and where was his mirror in which he could see all that was passing in the world, and where was the shell which, when held to the ear, whispered all the words that were being spoken "'by any one that the master desired to know. "'The lad tried in vain with the crucibles "'to turn copper and lead into gold and silver. "'He looked long and vainly into the mirror. "'Smoke and clouds passed over it, "'but he saw nothing plain, "'and the shell to his ear produced only indistinct murmurings, "'like the breaking of distant seas on an unknown shore. "'I can do nothing,' he said, "'as I don't know the right words to utter, "'and they are locked up in yon book.' "'He looked round, and, see, the book was unfastened. "'The master had forgotten to lock it before he went out. "'The boy rushed to it and unclosed the volume. "'It was written with red and black ink, "'and much of it he could not understand. "'But he put his finger on a line and spelled it through. "'At once the room was darkened and the house trembled. "'A clap of thunder rolled through the passage and the old room, "'and there stood before him a horrible, horrible form, breathing fire, and with eyes like burning lamps. It was the demon Beelzebub, whom he had called up to serve him. Set me a task, said he, with a voice like the roaring of an iron furnace. The boy only trembled, and his hair stood up. Set me a task, or I shall strangle thee. But the lad could not speak. Then the evil spirit stepped towards him and, putting forth his hand, touched his throat. The fingers burned his flesh. Set me a task! Water, yon flower! cried the boy in despair, pointing to a geranium which stood in a pot on the floor. Instantly the spirit left the room, but in another instant he returned with a barrel on his back and poured its contents over the flower. And again and again he went and came, and poured more and more water, till the floor of the room was ankle-deep. "'Enough, enough!' gasped the lad. But the demon heeded him not. The lad didn't know the words by which to send him away, and still he fetched water. It rose to the boy's knees, and still more water was poured. It mounted to his waist, and Beelzebub still kept on bringing barrels full. It rose to his armpits, and he scrambled to the tabletop. And now the water in the room stood up to the window and washed against the glass, and swelled around his feet on the table. It still rose. It reached his breast. In vain he cried. The evil spirit would not be dismissed. And to this day he would have been pouring water, and would have drowned all Yorkshire. But the master remembered on his journey that he had not locked his book. And therefore returned, and at the moment when the water was bubbling about the pupil's chin, rushed into the room and spoke the words which cast Beelzebub back into his fiery home. End of chapter fifteen. The master and his pupil. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, Please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan. English Fairy Tales, collected by Joseph Jacobs, Chapter Sixteen: Titty Mouse and Tatty Mouse. Titty Mouse and Tatty Mouse both lived in a house. Titty Mouse went a leasing, and Tatty Mouse went a leasing. So they both went a leasing. Titty Mouse leased an ear of corn, and Tatty Mouse leased an ear of corn. So they both leased an ear of corn. Titty Mouse made a pudding, and Tatty Mouse made a pudding. So they both made a pudding. And Tatty Mouse put her pudding into the pot to boil. But when Titty went to put hers in, the pot tumbled over and scalded her to death. Then Tatty sat down and wept. Then a three-legged stool said, Tatty, why do you weep? Titty's dead, said Tatty, and so I weep. Then said the stool, "I'll hop." So the stool hopped. Then a broom in the corner of the room said, "Stool, why do you hop?" Oh, said the stool, "Titty's dead and Tatty weeps, and so I hop." Then said the broom, "I'll sweep." So the broom began to sweep. Then said the door, "Broom, why do you sweep?" Oh, said the broom, "Titty's dead and Tatty weeps." And the stool hops, and so I sweep. Then, said the door, I'll jar. So the door jarred. Then, said the window, door, why do you jar? Oh, said the door, Titty's dead and Tatty weeps, And the stool hops and the broom sweeps, And so I jar. Then, said the window, I'll creak. So the window creaked. Now there was an old form outside the house, and when the window creaked, the form said, Window, why do you creak? Oh, said the window, Titty's dead and Tatty weeps, and the stool hops and the broom sweeps, the door jars, and so I creak. Then, said the old form, I'll run round the house. Then the old form ran round the house. Now there was a fine large walnut tree growing by the cottage, and the tree said to the form, Form, why do you run round the house? Oh, said the form, Titty's dead and Tatty weeps, and the stool hops and the broom sweeps, the door jars and the window creaks, and so I run round the house. Then, said the walnut tree, I'll shed my leaves. So the walnut tree shed all its beautiful green leaves. Now there was a little bird perched on one of the boughs of the tree, and when all the leaves fell, it said, "'Walnut tree! Why do you shed your leaves?' "'Oh!' said the tree. "'Titty's dead and tatty weeps. The stool hops and the broom sweeps. The door jars and the window creaks. The old form runs round the house, and so I shed my leaves.' "'Then,' said the little bird, "'I'll molt all my feathers.' "'so he moulted all his pretty feathers. "'Now there was a little girl walking below, "'carrying a jug of milk for her brother's and sister's supper. "'And when she saw the poor little bird molt all its feathers, "'she said, "'Little bird, why do you molt all your feathers?' "'Oh,' said the little bird, "Titty's dead and tatty weeps, "'the stool hops and the broom sweeps, "'the door jars and the window creaks, "'the old form runs round the house.' THE WALNUT TREE SHEDS ITS LEAVES, AND SO I MOLT ALL MY FEATHERS. THEN, SAID THE LITTLE GIRL, I'LL SPILL THE MILK. SO SHE DROPPED THE PITCHER AND SPILT THE MILK. NOW THERE WAS AN OLD MAN JUST BY ON THE TOP OF A LADDER THATCHING A RICK, AND WHEN HE SAW THE LITTLE GIRL SPILL THE MILK, HE SAID, LITTLE GIRL, WHAT DO YOU MEAN BY SPILLING THE MILK? YOUR LITTLE BROTHERS AND SISTERS MUST GO WITHOUT THEIR SUPPER. THEN SAID THE LITTLE GIRL, Titty's dead and Tatty weeps. The stool hops and the broom sweeps. The door jars and the window creaks. The old form runs round the house. The walnut tree sheds all its leaves. The little bird moulds all its feathers. And so I spill the milk. Oh, said the old man, then I'll tumble off the ladder and break my neck. So he tumbled off the ladder and broke his neck. And when the old man broke his neck, the great walnut tree fell down with a crash, and upset the old form and house, and the house falling knocked the window out, and the window knocked the door down, and the door upset the broom, and the broom upset the stool, and poor little Tatty Mouse was buried beneath the ruins End of chapter sixteen Titty Mouse and Tatty Mouse This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Chan English Fairy Tales Collected by Joseph Jacobs Chapter 17 Jack and his Golden Snuff-Box Once upon a time, and a very good time it was, though it was neither in my time nor in your time, "'nor in anyone else's time. "'There was an old man and an old woman, "'and they had one son, "'and they lived in a great forest, "'and their son never saw any other people in his life. "'But he knew that there was some more in the world "'besides his own father and mother, "'because he had lots of books, "'and he used to read every day about them. "'And when he read about some pretty young women, "'he used to go mad to see some of them. "'Till one day, when his father was out cutting wood, He told his mother that he wished to go away to look for his living in some other country and to see some other people besides them too. And he said, I see nothing at all here but great trees around me, and if I stay here, maybe I shall go mad before I see anything. The young man's father was out all this time when this talk was going on between him and his poor old mother. The old woman begins by saying to her son before leaving, well, well, my poor boy, if you want to go, it's better for you to go, and God be with you. The old woman thought for the best when she said that. But stop a bit before you go. Which would you like best for me to make you, a little cake and bless you, or a big cake and curse you? Dear, dear, said he, make me a big cake. Maybe I shall be hungry on the road. The old woman made the big cake, and she went on top of the house and she cursed him as far as she could see him. He presently meets with his father, and the old man says to him, Where are you going, my poor boy? When the son told the father the same tale as he told his mother. Well, says his father, I'm sorry to see you going away, but if you've made your mind to go, it's better for you to go. The poor lad had not gone far when his father called him back. Then the old man drew out of his pocket a golden snuff-box, and said to him, Here, take this little box, and put it in your pocket, and be sure not to open it till you are near your death. And away went poor Jack upon his road, and walked till he was tired and hungry, for he had eaten all his cake upon the road. And by this time night was upon him, so he could hardly see his way before him. He could see some light a long way before him, and he made up to it, "'and found the back door and knocked at it, "'till one of the maidservants came and asked him what he wanted. "'He said that night was on him, "'and he wanted to get some place to sleep. "'The maidservant called him into the fire "'and gave him plenty to eat, good meat and bread and beer, "'and as he was eating his food by the fire, "'there came the young lady to look at him, "'and she loved him well, and he loved her. "'And the young lady ran to tell her father, "'and said there was a pretty young man in the back kitchen.' and immediately the gentleman came to him, and questioned him, and asked what work he could do. Jack said, the silly fellow, that he could do anything. He meant that he could do any foolish bit of work that would be wanted about the house. "'Well,' says the gentleman to him, "'if you can do anything, at eight o'clock in the morning I must have a great lake and some of the largest man-of-war vessels sailing before my mansion, and one of the largest vessels must fire a royal salute.' "'and the last round must break the leg of the bed "'where my young daughter is sleeping, "'and if you don't do that, you will have to forfeit your life.' "'All right,' said Jack, "'and away he went to his bed, and said his prayers quietly, "'and slept till it was near eight o'clock. "'And he had hardly any time to think what he was to do, "'till all of a sudden he remembered about the little golden box "'that his father gave him. "'And he said to himself, "'Well, well, I never was so near my death as I am now.' AND THEN HE FELT IN HIS POCKET, AND DREW THE LITTLE BOX OUT. AND WHEN HE OPENED IT, OUT THERE HOPPED THREE LITTLE RED MEN, AND ASKED JACK, WHAT IS YOUR WILL WITH US? WELL, SAID JACK, I WANT A GREAT LAKE, AND SOME OF THE LARGEST MAN-OF-WAR VESSELS IN THE WORLD BEFORE THIS MANSION, AND ONE OF THE LARGEST VESSELS TO FIRE A ROYAL SALUTE, AND THE LAST ROUND TO BREAK ONE OF THE LEGS OF THE BED WHERE THIS YOUNG LADY IS SLEEPING. ALL RIGHT, SAID THE LITTLE MEN go to sleep.' Jack had hardly time to bring the words out of his mouth, to tell the little men what to do, but when it struck eight o'clock, when bang, bang, went one of the largest man-of-war vessels, and it made Jack jump out of bed to look through the window. And I can assure you, it was a wonderful sight for him to see, after being so long with his father and mother living in a wood." By this time Jack dressed himself and said his prayers, and came down laughing, for he was proud he was, because the thing was done so well. The gentleman comes to him and says to him, "'Well, my young man, I must say that you are very clever indeed. Come and have some breakfast.' And the gentleman tells him, "'Now there are two more things you have to do, and then you shall have my daughter in marriage.' "'Jack gets his breakfast, and has a good squint at the young lady, "'and also she at him. "'The other thing that the gentleman told him to do "'was to fell all the great trees for miles around by eight o'clock in the morning, "'and, to make my long story short, it was done, "'and it pleased the gentleman well. "'The gentleman said to him, "'The other thing you have to do, and it was the last thing, "'you must get me a great castle standing on twelve golden pillars.' and there must come regiments of soldiers, and go through their drill. At eight o'clock, the commanding officer must say, Shoulder up! All right, said Jack. When the third and last morning came, the third great feat was finished, and he had the young daughter in marriage. But, oh dear, there is worse to come yet. The gentleman now makes a large hunting party, and invites all the gentlemen around the country to it, and to see the castle as well and by this time Jack has a beautiful horse and a scarlet dress to go with them. On that morning his valet, when putting Jack's clothes by, after changing them to go a-hunting, put his hand in one of Jack's waistcoat pockets and pulled out the little golden snuff-box, as poor Jack left behind in a mistake. And that man opened the little box, and there hopped the three little red men out and asked him what he wanted with them. "'Well,' said the valet to them, "'I want this castle to be moved from this place far and far across the sea.' "'All right,' said the little red men to him. "'Do you wish to go with it?' "'Yes,' said he. "'Well, get up,' said they to him. "'And away they went, far and far over the great sea.' "'Now the grand hunting party comes back, "'and the castle upon the twelve golden pillars had disappeared,' to the great disappointment of those gentlemen as did not see it before. That poor silly Jack is threatened by taking his beautiful young wife from him, for taking them in in the way he did. But the gentleman at last made an agreement with him, and he is to have a twelve months and a day to look for it, and off he goes with a good horse and money in his pocket. Now poor Jack goes in search of his missing castle, over hills, dales, valleys and mountains, through woolly woods and sheep-walks, "'further than I can tell you, or ever intend to tell you, "'until at last he comes up to the place "'where lives the king of all the little mice in the world. "'There was one of the little mice on sentry at the front gate, "'going up to the palace, "'and did try to stop Jack from going in. "'He asked the little mouse, "'Where does the king live? "'I should like to see him.' "'This one sent another with him to show him the place, "'and when the king saw him, he called him in.' And the king questioned him, and asked him where he was going that way. Well, Jack told him all the truth, that he had lost the great castle, and was going to look for it, and he had a whole twelve months and a day to find it out. And Jack asked him whether he knew anything about it. And the king said, "'No, but I am the king of all the little mice in the world, and I will call them all up in the morning, and maybe they have seen something of it.' Then Jack got a good meal and bed, And in the morning he and the king went on to the fields, and the king called all the mice together, and asked them whether they had seen the great beautiful castle standing on golden pillars. And all the little mice said, No, there was none of them had seen it. The old king said to him that he had two other brothers. One is the king of all the frogs, and my other brother, who is the oldest, he is the king of all the birds in the world. And if you go there... Maybe they know something about the missing castle. The king said to him, Leave your horse here with me till you come back, and take one of my best horses under you, and give this cake to my brother. He will know then who you got it from. Mind and tell him I am well, and should like dearly to see him. And then the king and Jack shook hands together. And when Jack was going through the gates, the little mouse asked him, Should he go with him? And Jack said to him, "'No, I shall get myself into trouble with the king.' "'And the little thing told him, "'It will be better for you to let me go with you. "'Maybe I shall do some good to you some time "'without you knowing it. "'Jump up, then.' "'And the little mouse ran up the horse's leg "'and made it dance, "'and Jack put the mouse in his pocket. "'Now Jack, after wishing good morning to the king "'and pocketing the little mouse which was on sentry, "'trudged on his way, "'and such a long way he had to go.' "'and this was his first day. "'At last he found the place, "'and there was one of the frogs on sentry "'and gun upon his shoulder, "'and did try to hinder Jack from going in. "'But when Jack said to him that he wanted to see the king, "'he allowed him to pass, "'and Jack made up to the door. "'The king came out and asked him his business, "'and Jack told him all from beginning to end. "'Well, well, come in. "'He gets good entertainment that night.' And in the morning the king made such a funny sound and collected all the frogs in the world. And he asked them, Did they know or see anything of a castle that stood upon twelve golden pillars? And they all made a curious sound, "Croak, croak, and said, No. Jack had to take another horse and a cake to this king's brother, who was the king of all the fowls of the air. And as Jack was going through the gates, THE LITTLE FROG THAT WAS ON SENTRY ASKED JOHN SHOULD HE GO WITH HIM. JACK REFUSED HIM FOR A BIT, BUT AT LAST HE TOLD HIM TO JUMP UP, AND JACK PUT HIM IN HIS OTHER waistcoat POCKET, AND AWAY HE WENT AGAIN ON HIS GREAT LONG JOURNEY. IT WAS THREE TIMES AS LONG THIS TIME AS IT WAS THE FIRST DAY. HOWEVER, HE FOUND THE PLACE, AND THERE WAS A FINE BIRD ON SENTRY. AND JACK PASSED HIM, AND HE NEVER SAID A WORD TO HIM, AND HE TALKED WITH THE KING AND TOLD HIM EVERYTHING, ALL ABOUT THE CASTLE. "'Well,' said the king to him, "'you shall know in the morning from my birds "'whether they know anything or not.' Jack put up his horse in the stable, and then went to bed, after having something to eat. And when he got up in the morning, the king and he went on to some field, and there the king made some funny noise, and there came all the fowls that were in all the world. And the king asked them, "'Did they see the fine castle?' And all the birds answered, "'No.' Well, said the king, where is the great bird? They had to wait then for a long time for the eagle to make his appearance, when at last he came all in a perspiration, after sending two little birds high up in the sky to whistle on him, to make all the haste he possibly could. The king asked the great bird, Did he see the great castle? And the bird said, Yes, I came from there where it now is. Well, says the king to him, This young gentleman has lost it, and you must go with him back to it. But stop till you get a bit of something to eat first. They killed a thief, and sent the best part of it to feed the eagle on his journey over the seas, and had to carry Jack on his back. Now when they came in sight of the castle, they did not know what to do to get the little golden box. Well, the little mouse said to them, Leave me down, and I will get the little box for you. So the mouse stole into the castle, and got hold of the box, and when he was coming down the stairs it fell down, and he was very near being caught. He came running out with it, laughing his best. "'Have you got it?' Jack said to him. He said, "'Yes,' and off they went back again, and left the castle behind. As they were all of them—Jack, Mouse, Frog, and Eagle—passing over the great sea, they fell to quarrelling about which it was that got the little box. "'till down it slipped into the water. "'It was by them looking at it "'and handing it from one hand to the other "'that they dropped the little box to the bottom of the sea. "'Well, well,' said the frog, "'I knew that I would have to do something, "'so you had better let me go down in the water.' "'And they let him go, "'and he was down for three days and three nights, "'and up he comes and shows his nose "'and little mouth out of the water. "'And all of them asked him, "'Did he get it? "'And he told them, "'No.' "'Well, what are you doing there, then?' "'Nothing at all,' he said. "'Only I want my full breath.' "'And the poor little frog went down the second time, "'and he was down for a day and a night, "'and up he brings it. "'And away they did go after being there four days and nights, "'and after a long tug over seas and mountains, "'arrive at the palace of the old king, "'who is the master of all the birds in the world.' AND THE KING IS VERY PROUD TO SEE THEM, AND HAS A HEARTY WELCOME AND A LONG CONVERSATION. JACK OPENS THE LITTLE BOX, AND TOLD THE LITTLE MEN TO GO BACK AND TO BRING THE CASTLE HERE TO THEM, AND ALL OF YOU MAKE AS MUCH haste BACK AGAIN AS YOU POSSIBLY CAN. THE THREE LITTLE MEN WENT OFF, AND WHEN THEY CAME NEAR THE CASTLE, THEY WERE AFRAID TO GO TO IT, TILL THE GENTLEMAN AND LADY AND ALL THE SERVANTS WERE GONE OUT TO SOME DANCE. AND THERE WAS NO ONE LEFT BEHIND THERE, ONLY THE COOK AND ANOTHER MAID WITH HER. AND THE LITTLE RED MEN ASKED THEM WHICH WOULD THEY RATHER, GO OR STOP BEHIND? AND THEY BOTH SAID, I WILL GO WITH YOU. AND THE LITTLE MEN TOLD THEM TO RUN upstairs QUICK. THEY WERE NO SOONER UP AND IN ONE OF THE DRAWING-ROOMS THAN HERE COMES, JUST IN SIGHT, THE GENTLEMAN AND LADY AND ALL THE SERVANTS. BUT IT WAS TOO LATE. OFF THE CASTLE WENT AT FULL SPEED, WITH THE WOMEN LAUGHING AT THEM THROUGH THE WINDOW, WHILE THEY MADE MOTIONS FOR THEM TO STOP, BUT ALL TO NO PURPOSE. They WERE NINE DAYS ON THEIR JOURNEY, IN WHICH THEY DID TRY TO KEEP THE SUNDAY HOLY, WHEN ONE OF THE LITTLE MEN TURNED TO BE THE PRIEST, THE OTHER THE CLERK, AND THIRD PRESIDED AT THE ORGAN, AND THE WOMEN WERE THE SINGERS, FOR THEY HAD A GRAND CHAPEL IN THE CASTLE ALREADY. VERY REMARKABLE, THERE WAS A DISCORD MADE IN THE MUSIC and one of the little men ran up one of the organ pipes to see where the bad sound came from when he found out it only happened to be that the two women were laughing at the little red man stretching his little legs full length on the bass pipes also his two arms the same time with his little red nightcap which he never forgot to wear and what they never witnessed before could not help calling forth some good merriment while on the face of the deep and poor thing through them not going on with what they begun with they very near came to danger, as the castle was once very near sinking in the middle of the sea. At length, after a merry journey, they come again to Jack and the king. The king was quite struck with the sight of the castle, and going up the golden stairs, went to see the inside. The king was very much pleased with the castle, but poor Jack's time of a twelve months and a day was drawing to a close, and he— wishing to go home to his young wife, gives orders to the three little men to get ready by the next morning at eight o'clock to be off to the next brother, and to stop there for one night, also to proceed from there to the last or the youngest brother, the master of all the mice in the world, in such place where the castle shall be left unto his care until it's sent for. Jack takes a farewell of the king, and thanks him very much for his hospitality. Away went Jack in his castle again, and stopped one night in that place, and away they went again to the third place, and there left the castle under his care. As Jack had to leave the castle behind, he had to take to his own horse, which he had left there when he first started. Now poor Jack leaves his castle behind, and faces towards home, and after having so much merriment with the three brothers every night, Jack became sleepy on horseback, and would have lost the road if it was not for the little men a-guiding him. At last he arrived, weary and tired, and they did not seem to receive him with any kindness whatever, because he had not found the stolen castle. And to make it worse, he was disappointed in not seeing his young and beautiful wife to come and meet him, through being hindered by her parents. But that did not stop long. Jack put full power on, and dispatched the little men off to bring the castle from there, and they soon got there. Jack shook hands with the king, and returned many thanks for his kingly kindness in minding the castle for him. And then Jack instructed the little men to spur up and put speed on. And off they went, and were not long before they reached their journey's end, when out comes the young wife to meet him with a fine lump of a young son, and they all lived happily ever afterwards. End of Chapter 17 Jack and His Golden Snuff-Box